Well, good morning. My name's Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad uh, that you're here. I really do hope you'll get uh, that devotional, which will be a rich resource this month for, for us to pray together and ask uh, that the God of justice uh, would allow us to be a, a church that has his heart uh, around the same issue. So if you don't know, we have started this new year in the Old Testament book of Judges, uh, and we've titled this series, Right in the Eye. It comes from the end of the book of Judges, uh, where it really was the mantra that characterized the hearts of Israel and the culture of Canaan. Do what is right in your own eye. It, I think, is the same mantra that often characterizes our own hearts and our current culture. Uh, it poses major problems and it creates heartache and loss for Israel, and it does so for us as well. Uh, if you've been here, you've heard us say that this book in the Old Testament has a kind of a repeated cycle. It's this cycle over and over and over and over throughout the book, and it's, that, it's this cycle. Israel does what is right in their own eye. They don't listen to God. They turn away from God. God then gives them over to the desires of their heart, and they experience oppression and distance from God, and then they cry out for deliverance, and God in his grace sends a deliverer or a judge. And then there's this period of rest and blessing until Israel forgets God again and stops listening to him and turns away and the cycle repeats. So this morning we're going to look at Gideon. We're going to spend two weeks on Gideon. And this morning we're going to look at Judges chapter 6. And we're going to see that Israel's back at it again. They're turning away from God, not listening to him. They're experiencing oppression, but thankfully God's at it again. And his patience and bountiful grace, he's delivering his people. And so if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to look at Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 18 and then verses 24 to 31. You can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen. This is God's word to us this morning. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Verse 24, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abizrites. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the asher beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. 
Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, tells us, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would take your word that you've given to us, and by your spirit, would you apply it to our spirit? I pray that the, the word of God would illumine our minds and our thoughts. I pray that you, God, as we encounter you, would transform and change our hearts. We would leave this place having encountered you, knowing you are with us. Speak to us, we pray. Remove me so that Christ and Christ alone is exalted. In his name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, The Hunger Games, it's a series of best-selling novels that maybe some of you have read or a blockbuster movie series that some of you have seen. Uh, One of the major themes that runs throughout the story of The Hunger Games is that we are weak when we're all alone. The story is about that which was once North America, the capital, Panem, holds power over the 12 districts. And each district is to select a boy or a girl to fight in the nationally televised Hunger Games. And Katniss is the main character. She's chosen to fight for the 12th district. And there's another great character named Rue who's selected to fight for the 11th district. And all the contestants are dropped off into the arena, which is thousands of acres. And as soon as they are dropped off, everybody realizes that in order to survive, you need to form alliances. Alliances will give you safety and give you courage. And so we see Katniss dropped off, and immediately she runs into the woods to hide. Rue, representing the 11th district, also dropped off and immediately runs into the woods to hide. Rue actually climbs up into the tree and hides in the treetops. And one of the most powerful scenes in the movie, I think, was when Rue and Katniss find each other in the trees. They're both hiding. They're both under the threat of death both deeply afraid, but when they find one another, they make each other strong. So when they're all alone, they hide, but when they are together, they come out of hiding and they begin to live. It's Katniss and Rue's friendship that sparks a revolution. And in many ways, that's what's happening in our text this morning. God is wanting to show us that our fear hides us, but his presence with us strengthens us. Our fear hides us, but his presence strengthens us. So the first thing I want to look at is the fear that leads to hiding. Look at verse 11. We see it here. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Do you catch what's happening here? Gideon and his father have harvested their wheat, and they're curing it. They're separating the wheat and the chaff, but instead of doing it out in the open on their own land, Gideon is hiding. He's beating out the wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. He is deeply afraid of the Midianites. Why? Because the Midianites come every year as sure as income tax into Canaan, light buzzards to pillage the land, and they take all their livestock, all their harvest, and all their grain. Verses 2 to 6 of Judges chapter 6 lets us in on the situation. Listen to their situation. 
the hand of Midian, overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. Midian is economically exploiting Israel. For seven years, they are exploiting Israel. And for seven years, Israel has been hungry, poor, and tired. Now, the Midianites didn't live in Israel. They just came down into, into Canaan whenever they wanted. It, it would be like Canada sweeping down across Nebraska and Canada. Or, uh, Nebraska and Kansas. Canada can't come into Canada. Canada would come into Nebraska and Kansas, and they would set up camp. And they would steal all the produce, all the livestock, all the grain. And then they would move to Iowa and Indiana and do the exact same thing. And so the Israelites went into hiding. They were living, verse 2, in caves and in holes in the mountains. They are deeply afraid and powerless against the Midianites. So God comes to Gideon and a little bit of divine humor, verse 12, says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. God greets the hiding Gideon as a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response is not so much focused on the name that God calls him, but on the promise that God gives him. And the promise that God gives him is the Lord is with you. And we see this kind of makes Gideon mad. Look at verse 13. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I think Gideon raises a great question. And it is a question that I think all of us have raised before. It is a question that reveals the heart of our, our own fear and hiding. And it's this, if God is with me, then why? If God is with me, then why? Gideon says, God, if you're with us, then why are we suffering at the hand of the Midianites? God, if you're with us, then why are we living in poverty and being exploited for the past seven years? A legitimate question. God, if you're with me, then why did I lose my job? God, if you're with me, then why am I living in poverty? God, if you're with me, then why am I not married? God, if you're with me, then why does my child have this sickness? God, if you're with me, then why was my spouse unfaithful? God, if you're with me, why did this person that I love have to die? Where is God in our deep disappointments? Where is God in our deep struggles? This is our question. This is our question as we live in a scary world that's filled with heartbreak and loss. And if we believe that God is not with us, if we believe we're all alone, then we must hide and do whatever we need to do to survive. In our text, verses 25 to 27, we see that Israel is suffering because they've done evil in the sight of the Lord. But their suffering is because they've turned away from God. Now, I've got to be really, really clear here. Not all of our suffering is because we turn away from God. 
At times we suffer because other people sin against us. At times we suffer because we've been helping other people. At times we suffer because of systemic sin. And at times we suffer and we have no idea why. But it's also true, and I think this is what our text is driving home, is that often our suffering and our feeling distant from God comes when we harden our hearts toward him. As a pastor, I have had many people in my time come and we've met over coffee or over, over a meal, and they've said, I feel so distant from God. And in saying I feel so distant from God, I know that there really is a longing that they have to feel close to God. But then I dig a little bit more, and I ask questions like, well, when's the last time you've read your Bible? When's the last time you spent time in prayer? When's the last time you were consistently at church on Sundays? And often the answer can be, well, it's been a while. And then if we get brutally honest, we can say, well, there are times when sins of bitterness towards others or the sins of sexual immorality or the sin of anger or workaholism or materialism or success or power are so present in our lives that we're just not ready to get rid of them. See, here's my point. Sometimes we feel distant from God because we are. And we are not because of God, but because we've pursued other things. We've given our hearts to things beside him. Israel's been pursuing other gods, pursuing evil things. And Israel's mad that God is distant. So Gideon and Israel are hiding, but they're not hiding just from Midian. They're also hiding from God himself. See, our fears lead us to hide, but God's presence strengthens us. That's what I want to look at next. We're going to spend this week and next week looking at how God's presence strengthens Gideon. Uh, next week we'll see him fight Midian, but this week God's presence strengthens Gideon to enter a different battle. And I, again, I think our text shows us it's the most important battle, and it's the battle for the heart. The angel comes to Gideon, which shows us that God himself is drawing close to Gideon and says in verse 25, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here. See, God knows that before any circumstances must change, the hearts of God's people must change. And this can be frustrating at times because we ask, God, if you're with us, then why? And what we want is for God to relieve us in our circumstances. And sometimes it feels like God's just not answering our requests. But while we want escape from our circumstances, God wants us to interpret our circumstances. You see, we want out of our binds, but God first and foremost wants us out of our idolatry. So let's look at the battle for the heart. We've seen this in Judges. God wants all of our heart. God wants us to repent and to trust him. He wants us to stop hiding and to, to trust him that God really hates being distant from us. God hates being distant from us, so much so that, that Israel right, isn't moving towards God, but God moves towards them. They're still being stubborn and rebellion, and God moves towards them. We see it in verse 7 to 10. See, Israel's crying out, we want a deliverer. But God sends a prophet. 
And Israel was like, what? We want a deliverer. And God said, no, I'm going I'm to send one who's going to speak my word. And God says this in verse 10, I brought you up from Egypt. I delivered you from the Egyptians, but you have not obeyed my voice. You've not listened to my word. See, Israel's more concerned about their circumstances, more concerned about being delivered from their circumstances than they were about sinning against God, which is why God sends a prophet first, not a deliverer. Because God wants to lead them to true repentance, not regret over circumstances, but repentance towards God. There is a big difference between regret over outward circumstances and repentance towards God. Worldly sorrow or regret is all about the horizontal. It's all about our circumstances, and it, and it doesn't produce real change. Regret is sorrow over the consequences of sin, but not over sin itself. What God is doing is trying to move Israel and move us from regret to repentance. God wants us to enter the battle for the heart. There's two diagnostics that I think our, our passage gives us of if we can really see, are, are we regretful or are we repentant? The first is, do we listen to God's word? Right? God sends a prophet. In verse 10, they don't listen to the word of God. We, we don't have Old Testament prophets anymore. Thanks be to God, we have the fully revealed word of God given to us in the scriptures, which we can read freely in our country, that we can listen to, that we can meditate upon. The question is, do we allow God's word to change us? Do we hear it? Do we listen to it? Is God's word transforming us? This is the place where I believe renewal and true conviction of sin takes place. God speaking to us in his word. Here's a second diagnostic. Is your life characterized by fighting against sin? Is your life characterized by fighting against sin? The theologian John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And I know we will struggle, all of us will struggle with sin until Christ returns. And I know there are sins that feel like heavy chains around your neck that you feel like you will never break free from. But a truly repentant lifestyle, true repentance, not just regret, produces an active fighting and putting to death the sin in our lives. There is a vigilance against sin. And as we do this, the intensity and even the frequency of sin can decrease in our lives. See, repentance produces a life characterized by actively fighting against sin. If this is not your life, you have to ask yourself if you're more regretful about the troubles of your sin more than sinning against God himself. In Judges 6, Israel's being Israel. Right? They're repeating the cycle. But thankfully, God's being God. God sends a prophet before they ever move toward him, and God raises up Gideon before Israel ever repents. That is the beautiful part of the gospel of Christianity, is that we believe in and trust in a God who moves towards us while we hide from him. In the garden, Adam and Eve are hiding in their sin and their guilt and in their shame, and God comes after them. God pursues them. He calls out to them. In the New Testament, Romans 5, 8, Paul writes, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, distant from God, in his love, he sent his son to lay down his life 
for us. He moved toward us before we've ever had the ability to repent. See, God sends Gideon to battle for the hearts of God's people. He tells Gideon, go home and tear down your idols. Can you imagine? Can you imagine tearing down the idols that your father and your entire city has been bowing down to for seven years? How much strength and courage it took for Gideon to do it. God is telling Gideon, you can't be close to me and close to Baal. You've got to be close to me. See, in the battle for the heart, Gideon shows us that two altars cannot coexist together. We are either all of God's or we're not. I think the fourth century early church father, Augustine, shows us even more insight into this. In his book, Confessions, Augustine talks about being a young man, and Augustine, as a young man, liked to have sex a lot. He, he was a womanizer. It was his identity, and his sexual em, uh, exploits were very important to him. He loved the intimacy of sex, the companionship of sex. He loved to boast and be admired for sexual exploits, but Augustine, Augustine also knew that his sexual immorality was killing him and that it didn't please God. So Augustine prayed this prayer. Lord, grant me chastity and continuance, just not yet. That's an honest prayer, isn't it? God, I want to be holy, but not yet. God, I want to be holy, but when I graduate. God, I want to be holy when I'm married. God, I want to be holy when I know it will impact my children. I want to be holy when I retire. So even though this is an honest prayer by Augustine, it's an idolatrous prayer. We want to be close to God, but we also want the pleasures of this world. And Jesus is telling us that we must turn from anything and everything that keeps us from following him. And this is going to be different for every single one of us. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's relationship. For some of you, it's power. For some of you, it's influence. For some of you, it's approval of others. For some of you, it's the ideal picture of a family. We must tear down our idols so that we can follow Jesus. One of the main things God is showing us through Gideon is that sometimes God will not help us out of our obvious problems, our visible problems, money, relationships, family issues, until we see the idols that we are worshiping right beside the Lord. How does Gideon get the strength to tear down the idols of his father's house and of the city? How will we get the strength? And the Lord says in verse 14 to Gideon, am I not sending you? And in verse 15, Gideon responds, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Gideon's saying, I'm the weakest. Economically and socially, he's the poorest. How will I be able to save? And God says, I will make you strong, Gideon. How? Verse 16, I will be with you. I will be with you. Some of you think you're too weak or too broken to find the strength to walk with God with your whole heart. But God is telling you this morning, I am with you. Some of you think you're too weak or too broken. Maybe you're too fearful. You don't have enough knowledge to help Others see the fullness of the gospel to surrender their heart, whole heart to follow Jesus. And, and God is telling you this morning, I am with you. I am with you. 
See, God takes weak Gideon and turns him into a mighty man of valor. And God's presence with you can make you a mighty man or woman of valor. Chapter 6, we still see Gideon asking for assurance. Please, God, I want to know that you're with me. We see this first in his dealing with the angel in verses 19 to 22. Gideon's like, okay, I'm going to offer you a meal. Please wait. I'm going to offer you a meal. I need to know that this really is the Lord. And he offers the meal, and the angel consumes it, proving that God really is with him. And then in verses 36 to 40, at the end of chapter 6, it's the infamous Gideon laying the fleece of wool out. And God, God tells it, Gideon to go into battle. And Gideon says, wait, before I can go into battle, I need to know you're with me. So I'm going to take this, this fleece of wool, I'm going to put it out. And in the morning, the fleece will be wet and the ground will be dry. And then I'll know you're with me. He wakes up the next morning, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry, God's with him. Gideon's like, I need, an, I need, I need to be doubly sure. <laughs> this time, I'm going to put the fleece out and, and I need to know that, the, that you're with me by the ground being wet, ground being covered with dew, and the fleece is dry. And God proves himself to be with him for the second time that God really is with him. Now, we can't take Gideon, if you are here last week, Gideon in the fleece as prescriptive of what we should do in making decisions. Right? It's not what's happening here. Gideon's not asking God to help him with the decision. Should he go left? Should he go right? He's not flipping a coin and saying, if this happens, then. He's not putting God to the test. What's happening with Gideon is he wants to know God's character. He wants to know if God is who he says that he is. He, he needs to know that God is with him. So for us today, we don't lay a fleece out. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3, lets us know how we know God's with us. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, our days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. How do we know God's character? Jesus. How do we know that God is with us? Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, who came down and endured the sufferings and the temptations of this world, the one who is well acquainted with everything we will ever go through. I'm so thankful that God is patient with us in our weaknesses. He's patient with us in our fears, in our hiding. I'm so thankful that Jesus has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And I'm so thankful that God moves towards us before we can ever move towards him. That God hates being distant from us. So much so that he gave his only son who would be deserted, left alone, and crucified to a cross. Hear me, we don't need an Old Testament prophet. We have something greater given to us, the fullness of God revealed in the scriptures. And this battles for our hearts. God's spirit applying his word is, the, is where the battle for our heart takes place. The question is will we listen? And we don't need to offer a meal to God like Gideon to see if he is who he says that he is. Because God has given us a meal, a table instead of a threshing floor, bread and wine instead of a fleece, 
So every week we come back to the word preached and the table feasted upon so that we know God's character and we can experience God's presence. And as God is with us, we move from fear to freedom, from hiding to being known, from worshiping other things besides him to wholehearted worship, from feeling weak to being mighty in valor. God's presence with us. It's what sparks the revolution that will change our hearts and change this world. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would change our hearts. As you change our hearts, would you change our community, change the city, would you change the world? Would we know that the one who created all things in the beginning has recreated us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that by faith in him, we are being made new. God, thank you that you're with us. The Spirit of God is the seal that, that promises that we will be with you forever and ever. Lord, I pray uh, that that would give us great assurance and confidence that we don't need to hide, but in you and with you we have strength. Lord, to, to, to have our whole hearts devoted to you and to enter this world uh, as your hands and feet to a, to a world in need of Christ. I pray you bless your word in this table that we're about to come to. In Jesus' name, amen.